from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, this is Crosswalk. I've heard it said that you're either coming out of a problem, going into a problem, or you're in the middle of a problem, right? We're working our way through the series Deceptive Cons, More Than Meets the Eye. It's a study looking at deceptions used in the world today to con men and women out of a relationship with God. Even when we're in God's will, life is tough. Even when we are Christians, life is harsh. And we don't always say it, but if you're anything like me, we think it. God, you're all powerful. You're all knowing. You can do anything you want to do. Yet why is this happening? This week, youth pastor Ivy Rhodes takes on a popular con aimed at frustrating followers of Jesus. If I follow God, life will be good. Now here's Pastor Ivy. I'm happy to be here today and happy to speak to you. Um, thankfully, Pastor Clay gave me this opportunity today. And so I'm, I know this is a study in apologetics, and in some way, I guess this is an apologetic sermon, but <clears throat> I got a chance to speak, and so I want to speak on what was on my heart and what God had been uh, impressing on me for weeks, actually, up to this point. So today, that's what you're going to hear. Um, and I want today to be encouraging And I want it to be encouraging in your discouragement if you are discouraged today. I've heard it said that you're either coming out of a problem, going into a problem, or you're in in the middle of a problem, right? Life can be tough. And as we sang just a minute ago, that life can be very difficult no matter where we are in it. Even if we think we got things settled, life can be very tough. And so we get this idea that if we follow God, life's going to be great. And we may not say it out loud because we read the Bible and it doesn't seem right, but we just think, it's going to be okay. And so the deceptive con for today is, if I follow God, life will be good. Or, if I become a Christian, life will be good. Or... If I'm in God's will, life will be good. Or in God's plan, life will be good. I don't know, for me, this idea of life being good, being in God's plan, is kind of a thing that, especially when I was younger, kind of worked in my my thought pattern. I do what God wants me to do. I stay on the straight and narrow. I be the the preacher's kid that God wants me to be. Life's going to be good. Well, if you know anything about being nine years old, um, there's this little thing called school. I never really liked school. I think, I don't know what it was. I think it's just because I hated it. That's just what it was. Understand that I, now as I'm older, I have understood better why school is a good thing. In fact, you'll hear a little bit more about that in a little bit. But at nine years old, I didn't quite understand what God was doing in my life by making me go through school. Specifically, math. I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but... I am not good at math. And uh, it's interesting coming across culture because there's so many people that here that are in the technology field and are good at math. I just, are good? I don't know. Is that right? I'm not good at English either. Uh, so, so, I would sit there and I'd be doing my math work. I was homeschooled for most of my life, so that was good in, um, in some ways. And I'd be doing my math work. My mom would teach me and I... Inevitably, I'd end up throwing a book across the room. 
It's weird. When you're homeschooling, you're the only kid in class. You can do weird things like that. And you look back on it and you say, what was wrong with me, you know? It happened one time. It really did. So frustrated, I couldn't stand it. I remember sitting in my seat and crying at nine years old, nine or ten years old, look, sitting in my seat and crying. And my mom knew I struggled with math, and she put this plaque in front of me, right on my desk. So my desk was up against the wall. This plaque hung right in front of me. It was a painting, really. And it was of a scripture. And you've probably heard it before. You go into the Christian bookstore, and it's there. It's a scripture you've seen before. Now, this scripture, there are a lot of people that down it, whatever, um, not down the scripture itself, but how we perceive the scripture and how we interpret the scripture. And I believe that it can be interpreted very wrongly. But today, I want to look at the scripture for just a moment out of Jeremiah twenty nine, eleven. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. I'm crying, and I'm in math class. And I said, God, you better have a plan. Plans for welfare and not for calamity. To give you a future and a hope. And I sat there and I said, God, give me a future. I just want to get out of math. And when I got to college, I was in the the religion track. And that meant I only had to take one math class and pass it. Yes. That day was glorious, by the way, when I passed that that math class. Which I actually did pretty well in. I don't know what that was all about. But anyway. So, you know, I, I was like, oh God, just get me out of math. I want to be... In your will, and I want to be in your plan, and I want, because I'm in your plan, for me to get out of school. And then today, I look back and I think to myself, if I could only be sitting in math class and doing math, because life gets a lot harder than that, right? You look back and say, when I was a kid, I thought it was so hard. And it just got harder, you know? Even when we're in God's will, life is tough. Even when we are Christians, life is harsh. And we don't always say it, but if you're anything like me, we think it. God, you're all powerful. You're all knowing. You can do anything you want to do. You're good. Yet why is this happening to me? Today I want to talk about being in the struggle and how we make it through the struggle even when we are doing the will of God. Matthew 10, 29 through 30 is another verse you've probably heard. Are not two sparrows sold for more for a cent? And yet not one of them will, be, will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And we hear this by, not even a sparrow falls to the ground. And God not know about it. Just think how much more he cares about you. God, if you're all powerful, and you're all knowing, and you're good, why am I struggling so much? Why am I hurting? Why am I going through this? Am I not your child? In Jeremiah 29, 11, didn't you promise me a hope? Didn't you promise me a future? Didn't you promise me welfare? Maybe you've never said those exact words. Maybe you've said something like this. God, if you fix this and do this and give me this, I'll be happy. God, if you could just find the right woman for me to marry, I'll be happy. God, if you just give me that house, I'd be happier. Lord, just give me brilliant children, right? That'll make good grades in school. It'll make it easy on me. Or just give me good children. How about that? God, just give me children that don't flop on the floor at Walmart and scream. All right? If you just give me those, God, my life would be a little bit better. If I just had that promotion or had that job, my life would be good. If I didn't have that boss over top of me, 
God, my life would be better. If I was going to that school instead of this school, if I wasn't stuck here in life instead of there, and you can fill in the blank, whatever it is for you. God, if you're good, if you're powerful, and if you're all-knowing, why am I in this situation? I'm still sick. I'm still poor. Or I'm still in a bad job and I'm still unhappy. I'm still in a bad marriage and I'm still unhappy. God, if you're all-knowing and you're good, why is this happening to me? I think our biggest problem is we misunderstand what God's plan is for our life. What his will is, maybe is the churchy way to say it. Being the will of God or the plan of God, the, the purpose of God. And we do all kinds of things to figure out God's hidden will. And maybe you've done things like this before. I'm going to ask for two volunteers to come up now. Y'all give them a hand. This is uh, Caleb and Jacob. They are in our youth ministry, and they both play soccer. I don't. So I didn't want to look like a fool. All right, so I'm going to let them do this. All right, so what we got here is we have a soccer net. And they're going to set, when we were supposed to have a soccer ball, but we decided to go with this nice orange ball instead. Uh, let me see it and make sure it's a, it's a real ball. Okay, so they're going to take turns. We do things like this in life, and maybe not with a net and a soccer ball, but basketball or cards or something. I don't know. Roll the dice. Yeah, they, even the disciples, when they were choosing the one that was going to take the place of Judas, they rolled dice. I don't know. I don't know what that's all about. Anyway, that's how they figured out God's will. So maybe we say to ourselves, God, do you want me to have that job? Now, Jacob, what I want you to do is I want you to kick that ball. Let's back up a little bit. I, I, have, I have a feeling that you're, you're good at soccer. I can just see how you use that ball there. Okay. Let me protect John's guitar. All right. God, if you want me to have that job, let me make it in the net. Go. Oh, that was way too easy. Yay. Okay. So, God, I guess, I guess I'm getting that job. All right. Or, and Caleb's going to get this one for me, God, if you want me to marry that person, let me just make it in the net. Here we go, Caleb. Don't mess this up. You want me to make, marry this person and make it in the net? Oh, guess what, God? It must be a part of your will that I get to marry that person. Okay, my turn so I can miss. Okay. <laughs> Dear Lord, if you want me to go on the mission field, let me make it in the net. Oh, guess I missed that one there. And we say, well, maybe it's just not God's will. Y'all give him a hand. Thank you, guys. Appreciate that. Maybe it's just not God's will for me to do those things. Maybe that's just not what God wants. Or maybe that is what God wants, and I made it in the net. And maybe we go way far out. Maybe you have thought things like that before. Just give me a sign, right? It'd be a lot easier. Just you wake up in the morning, you have a letter from God. That's what you're supposed to do today. I want to pray for us, and then I want to go into kind of discussing God's purpose and will and plan. And then after that, I want to talk about how that fits into the hurt of life. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, today we come to you. I know there are some people in this, this church building today that are struggling. There may even be some people in this room that didn't want to get up. God, there may even be some people in this room that are contemplating for themselves suicide because of the pain that they're going through. God, I don't pretend today to have all the answers because I don't. And it's not necessarily going to make things easier because I don't have all wisdom, but you do. But God, I pray where I am deficient, you will be sufficient. 
and fill in the blanks where I miss it. If you just let God speak to you today, pray this in your heart. Just pray, God, if you'll speak to me today, I will obey. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to separate God's will into three sections. On this side of the soccer goal, we're going to have God's providential will. God's providential will. Y'all say providential. Good. On this side of the soccer goal, we're going to have God's moral will. All right? Y'all say moral. Good. And right here in the center is going to be God's personal will, or God's personal will for our lives. God's providential will. What is this? this is, these are the things that are going to happen whether we want them to happen or not. These are the things that are going to come true whether we believe it or not. Whether we're a Christian, whether we're not a Christian, God's providential will, God's sovereign will, will come true. Jesus was going to be born. Jesus was going to die on a cross and raise from the dead. And in our context today, Jesus is coming back, whether we believe it or not. This is God's providential will, and this is where God's going. And we see that laid out in the Bible. On this side, we have God's moral will. These are the things, like we talked about last week and a couple weeks ago, about what is right and what is wrong, we can see them laid out easily in the Ten Commandments. Do not lie. Do not murder. Do not steal. Honor your father and mother. Have only one God. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God in vain. And so on. So that's God's moral will and God's providential will. And the thing is, is the more we understand where God is going and what his plan is, the things he's promised providentially, and the more we stay inside God's moral will, the better and the easier we'll be able to understand God's personal will for our lives. You see, we understand where God's going, and we have his moral will. See, sometimes I meet with people, and I talk to them, and I'm talking about, you know, they're like, I just don't know where God wants me to go, and I know that there's something in their life that shouldn't be there. Something that God says is the wrong thing to be there. It could be a multitude of things. But they're living outside this and they're not able to see where God wants them to be because they are living a life that is outside of God's moral will. Sometimes good people come to me. But maybe they don't understand where God is going. They don't understand his providential will, and so they're living a life outside of where, what God's plan is. They have, they have a hard time understanding where God is going. Morally, we know that because God is a good God, and because he tells us that we should have one man and one woman for one lifetime, we realize that if we are cheating on our wife, we are not, or we are cheating on our husband, we are not inside the will of God. You can't be. If we, as we talked about last week, are living a life that is um, uh, outside of what God intended for sex, then we cannot be inside God's moral will. Does it mean we have to be perfect? No, because none of us are perfect. But it means we strive to be righteous. It's we strive to do the right thing. A lot of times, though, when we talk about his providential will, we talk about things like, does God want me to tell that coworker about Jesus? Does God want me to tell that person, that, that friend of mine about Jesus? Well, let's look at some scripture here. Does God want me to tell that coworker about Jesus? We're going to go to 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. This is what God says. This is good and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be, everyone 
to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Yes, it is God's will for you to tell that coworker about Jesus. Does God want me, this is for you, Pastor Clay. Does God want me to hand out that iBike card? Pastor Clay keeps us accountable on the staff for handing those things out, right? And I was going through Hardee's yesterday, and I was like, should I, should I, should I? I was like, you wrote it in your sermon, dummy. <laughs> Does God want me to hand out that Christmas movie ticket? This is what it says, Luke 14, 23. Go out into the highways and lanes and make them come in so that my house may be filled. Yes, God wants you to give out that iBike car because he wants his house to be full. Does God want me to go on that mission trip? See, you've been filled up. We've been speaking about a mission trip or we're promoting a mission trip and you're like, you feel like God's telling you, like, I don't know, God, do you really want me to do this? Well, let's read this in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Does God want me to go on that mission trip? Yes. Then it gets a little more difficult, though. Does God want me to get that job? Is that what God's plan is? This is a little more difficult, Ivy. This isn't about sharing the gospel. This is about a job. Well, some things maybe you need to consider when you understand where God's going. Is that job going to interfere with what God's doing in your life right now with maybe somebody at your work? If you get out of that job, will you be removed from somebody that you are having influence in? Something that seriously needs to be considered when you're moving jobs. Is it going to cut off a relationship that God's been developing? Is it going to hurt if you change jobs? Is your job going to hurt your family spiritually and emotionally? Because, yeah, you'll make more money, but you're never going to be home. Is it going to hurt your ability to serve the church? We always think of church as like this second, second tier thing. You know, there's all these things above church, but the Bible's pretty clear is that if you're a part of the church, church is number one. You know, God's church, God's church is number one. So it needs to be considered in our decisions when we're making things. And we understand where God's going. We understand how God uses the church. The church is God's main goal of getting the gospel out. When we understand God's providential will and where he is going, we can more easily make decisions about God's personal will for our lives. See, when we know God's rules and understand, it's not as difficult to figure out what God's trying to do. I want to tell you about kind of how I came to cross culture. A few years back, God filled me up spiritually. The Holy Spirit was just talking to me in a sermon that I had heard. In, the sermon, in, in this sermon, I don't know if it was specifically said, but I felt like God was saying, Ivy, you need to start a church in three to five years. I don't know what that is. Maybe I added three to five years, but God told me to start a church. And I said, okay, God, that's cool. You help me out with this, I'll do it. And I go on, and, and I, I start feeling this pressure from God saying, you need to go to school. You need to go to school. I was like, and not just from God like Ivy, you know, that, not just that. I'm talking about God was using people to tell me, you need to go to school. And I got, I've been to Bible college. I know what it's all about. I don't need to go to school. And so I'm, I'm going, going along and along, and about um, a few years pass, and God says to me through a sermon I was listening to, he says to me, go to school. I mean, the sermon almost exactly said that, and it freaked me out. And I was taking a shower. I like sometimes listening to sermons while I'm, you know, on a podcast or something. I take a shower. I get out. I run out. I'm soaking wet from head to toe. And I run out and I look at Allie and I say, Allie, I'm going to school. She goes, what? And I was like, okay, hang on. Let me get dressed. I'll come back and I'll tell you what happened. 
So I come back and I tell her kind of what's going on. I say, I don't know when, but we're going to school. And over the course of a few weeks, God just starts speaking to me and using people to come into my life. And I realized I needed to go full-time on campus. Didn't know where I was going to go, but I needed to go. And so I start over that year trying to figure out what God wants me to do and where God wants me to be. And he leads me to Southeastern. And so I start taking some courses online, and I realize, though, that I need to go full-time on campus like God told me to do. And it was going to be difficult because I was well-established in my job that I had. I was a youth pastor, had been for uh, youth pastor and associate pastor, had been for um, eight years. And uh, people loved me. Uh, We were doing good things in the youth group. And God tells me I need to move away. And Allie was not very happy about that either. She was, um, when we're getting through this thing, she was pregnant at that point. She's like, oh, man, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. We go through this whole thing. Is this going to work? And so I said, you know what, I'm gonna, if we're going to move, I'm going to need to get a job. And so I started sending out resumes to churches. But I realized I may not get a job at a church, at a seminary full of people that are pastors that want jobs at churches. And I said, there may not be a church for me, but you know what, God, I'm not going to limit you. I'm going to put some resumes out there. And I put res- a few resumes out there, and I was willing to work at Target or sweep floors at a barbershop, whatever I had to do to make ends meet. I was going to do it because I was going to go to school. But God ended up having Pastor Clay call me. I remember getting that call, man. I was, he can probably tell you on the phone, I was nervous, man. I was like, oh, oh, hello? Because <laughs> I saw it was a Raleigh number. I was like, oh, somebody called me back, right? And so we go through the whole process. I meet with, uh, I meet with, a few weeks later, I meet with Pastor Clay, and I meet with Bill Powell, and I meet with Nate, and we're talking, and they grill me, and I got out of that grilling session and felt like, oh, man, I'm just worn out, you know? It just really got me, and, and I said, that was good. Um, we came to church here that week, and we met a lot of you guys, and we got to watch the worship service, and I walked out of here saying, you know, Allie, if I wasn't even hired there, that was a church I would go to. And we walked out, we went home, we drove home, and... <laughs> We start praying, and I hadn't got the confirmation that I had the job because um, Pastor Clay hadn't called me back, and I waited a few days, I think, and I finally gave him an email, and he emailed me back, and he said, we want you to have the job if you'll take it. And at that moment, I got on my knees, and I prayed. I said, God, if you want me to have this job, I want you to give me a sign. God, give me a sign, and I'll know. Cross culture is where I should be. So I, I walked out my front door. I looked up into the sky, and at that moment, two contrails from jets had crossed in the sky and made the image of a cross. And I went, and I took a picture of it, just like that. No, that didn't happen. That was a lie up to the point. I mean, most of that's true, but the contrail thing, totally false. I did pray about it, and I looked at Allie, I looked at Allie and I said, this is it. We're going. Because, see, I understood where God was going. I understood what he told me. And he told me to go to school. He told me to start a church. I needed to go to school, and I needed a, um, a place to work. He provided a job, but not just a job, but a job in a church where I could continue to minister at a great church. And I was like, I'm going to deny this? No, it really wasn't much of a choice for me. I said, if they want me there, I'm going. We didn't need a special sign. We didn't need an angel to come speak to us in a dream. We went. We understood where God was going, and we tried our best to live inside God's moral will also. And God spoke to us. And here's the thing about God's will, and I'm going to free you up just a little bit. Y'all ready to be freed a little bit? 
Sometimes I think we worry about, you know, taking the right step. We, and I believe in waking up in the morning and praying that God would lead your steps in the morning. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, and I think that the Bible speaks to that uh, very much. Um, as a lamp into our feet and, and guiding us. But sometimes I feel like we wake up in the morning, we're like, should I eat Raisin Bran or Frosted Flakes today? God, what is your will? I'm not sure God cares if you eat Raisin Bran or Frosted Flakes, right? I don't know. Maybe. We can have that discussion later. The truth is, and free up, God's will for your life is whatever. All right? God's will for your life is whatever. In Colossians, the Apostle Paul finishes up talking about what the Christian life is how to live the Christian life, what that means. And he says this, and whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians 3, 17. And whatever you do, in the words you speak, do it all to the glory of God. In the way you live, do it all to the glory of God. In your job, in your school, in your life, in your family, with your friends, do it all to the glory of God in whatever you do. And that is God's will. I want you to turn to somebody, look at them, and I want you to say the word whatever. Just say, whatever, whatever. Wake up, this is, this is, our, this is our commercial break. Wake up a little bit, whatever. If you're following God's moral will and you understand his providential will, you won't have a problem knowing God's personal will because in whatever you do, do all of the glory of God. It's not about finding that one perfect person to marry because, pro tip, there's no perfect person and you're not one. It's not about finding that perfect person to marry, but it's about becoming the man or woman of God that you need to be in the marriage that you're in. It's not about the job that you have and having that better job, but it's about doing your best inside the job that God has given you. It's not about which house you have, but how you're taking care of what God has already placed in your hand. It's not about how many kids or how many kids you don't have, how many kids you do have or don't have. It's about taking care of the kids you have and raising them in the Lord. That is the will of God. All right. So I can hear your questions a little bit. Okay. That's fine, Ivy. It's good. But why am I suffering? I, maybe I'm outside of God's will. Maybe I'm inside God's will. I don't know. You just told me it's whatever. I'm inside God's will. I'm still suffering. Why are things going wrong? Like I said earlier, I, in my prayer, I don't have all the answers for you today, but I want to give you something from God's word and just allow God to fill in the blanks where I'm deficient because I realize that I'm young and I have not been through a lot of what you guys have been through. Um, I've had some things happen in my life. I'm going to talk about those in just a minute, but um, I can't understand everything you've been through. So I don't want you to think that I'm up here just telling you you know, just hear that, hear that first. But let God help you. We're going to go to Jesus. We could go to a lot of people in Scripture, um, particularly a whole book written about this guy named Job, which we call Job, about how, about how life can be bad even when you're in God's will. But I think the most perfect example, because Job was not perfect. We know that there are none perfect, right? But Jesus was perfect and walked every step in God's will, every day. And Jesus, the night before he was crucified, went to the Garden of Gethsemane and was in pain. Matthew 26, 36 through 39, and verse 42. Then Jesus came to them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and, two, uh, and the two sons of Zebedee, 
he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. God's son, God in the flesh, deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Have you ever been so sad to the point of death? You may have very well. I've been there before. You're just so sorrowful. Remain here and stay awake with me. And going a little farther, he did this. He fell face down and prayed. On his face before his heavenly father and prayed. Submitting to God's will. Completely vulnerable. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus asked to let the cup of pain and suffering pass from him if it was possible. And this is the phrase that makes all the difference. Yet not as I will, but as you will. It's not wrong for us to pray for God to remove the pain, but it's wrong for us to pray for God to remove the pain if it is against his will. Again, a second time, he went and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And then it tells us in Matthew, he went a third time and prayed the same thing. Jesus, God's perfect son, felt pain. He felt sorrow, and he was perfectly in God's will, and yet he suffered, and not only suffered, not only got beat, not only was persecuted, but he died living inside of God's perfect will. And this is what we need to remember today. The first phrase was, God's will for your life is whatever. But secondly, not my will, but thy will. Not my will, but thy will. I think too often in the church and maybe in America, I think particularly in, um, you know, first world countries, the West, we have this theology of happiness. And it's a false doctrine. It doesn't match up with the word of God at all. And we have it all backwards. And we say, God, not thy will, but my will. Lord, and we get our little genie prayer lamp out and we just rub it. And we say, God, give me this, give me that, whatever. We've been through a lot of things that we may ask God for. And we ask God for these things and we just hope that he comes through because it's going to make our life great until we get them and then we need something else. We need another hit. And here's the thing, and this is the third statement I want you to remember today. Happiness is not God's main goal. Holiness is God's main goal. God is far more concerned with you becoming holy than he is with you being happy. Now, that does not sound encouraging. What? God, man, can't you just make me a little happier? Maybe I'd be a little holier. Let's look at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it great joy, my brothers, when you have everything going awesome. I'm sorry, that's not what it says. Consider it great joy, my brothers, when everything is killer. I don't know what's wrong with these crazy iPad Bibles. They must just, <clears throat> maybe that's why I should read out of this one. Let me read, okay. I'm just kidding. It's, it's right. It says, consider it great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials, anything from your battery going dead on a cold morning to the loss of a loved one and beyond. Various trials. Consider it great joy, My brothers, whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, but endurance must do its complete work. God's completing you. God's working in you. 
so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And this is where the Bible blows our minds. Be happy when life stinks. We'll say stinks today. Be happy when life is terrible. Ah, God, really? Okay, be happy when I make something bad happen and then it comes back and bites me? Be happy when that happens? Yes. Be happy when someone comes into my life and they do something wrong and I don't even have anything to do with it, but it comes back and it bites me? Be happy in that trial, God? Yes. Be happy in the mundane annoyances of life? Yes. How about the natural trials when a natural uh, occurrence happens like a Sadly, in the typhoons, when they came through that place and wiped it out in the Philippines. Are you alive today, God says, and be happy. If you've ever been through a disaster, something like that, you know it is hard to be happy in that situation. When you turn around and you look at everything you've ever worked for, which stood behind you the day before, is gone. And we're to be happy in that trial? James says yes. Because God is making us and molding us into the people of God that we need to be. This is our endurance training. God is transforming you from that fat milk baby, drinking baby, to a full-grown Christian adult, and it's not going to be easy. It's strength training. God is less concerned with our happiness and more concerned with our holiness. He has a view of our lives from an eternal perspective, knowing that we're only here for a short while. This earth is, is not our home. We are passing through. Too many times we get caught up with the world around us and don't see it from his perspective. and We miss it. We need to realize that if we are in the middle of God's will, this is going to blow your mind a little bit, but if we're in the middle of God's will, it may very well happen that you run into more trials and more struggles. If something comes along and you say, God, if this is your will, I pray that nothing will go wrong. That ain't going to happen. Things are going to happen wrong. Life's going to happen bad. That's part of where we live. It's a sinful, fallen world. Things are going to happen. People are going to get in your way. Uh, uh, just random things are going to happen that are going to knock you off course. And you say, God, why, if this is your will, why is this happening? Because we have. God is building you. But we have an enemy. Satan comes into your life to steal, kill, and destroy. And when you're in the will of God, know this. Romans eight twenty eight tells us. We are assured and know that all things work together and are fitting into a plan for good to and for those who love God and are called according to his design and purpose. I like the way the message says it. That's why we can be sure that every detail in our lives of loving God, don't forget that phrase right there, every detail of our lives of loving God for God is worked into something good. God is taking the good in your life. God is taking the bad in your life. He is molding them and bending them and pushing them into his will to make his providential will come true through you if you are a follower of Christ. God is taking the good and he is taking the bad and he is molding them and bending them and changing them to fit his perfect will. God can use the death of his son to save the world. The evil death of Jesus Christ on the cross, who was completely innocent. He went there willingly because he was following the will of God. 
But those people nailed an innocent man to the cross can use that and can create good out of it. And when we understand where God is going, when we understand, we can help understand our pain just a little bit better. The honest truth is, when you're going, when you're in God's will, life may not get better. In fact, when you first become a Christian, and I've known this to be true, when you first become a Christian, it's true that life may very well become very difficult. You may lose friends. Family may turn on you. You may even lose a job or a promotion because of your rearranged priorities. But it's worth it because our prize is in here. Our prize is later. Our joy is complete in heaven. The Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians in prison, chained up. And he says this, But everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. All that stuff I had before. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and considered them filth so that I may gain Christ. It's all nothing compared to Christ. He goes on to talk about this race that we run. My favorite passage of scripture. And holding on to the prize and grabbing that prize and looking to the finish line. And this finish, the finish line is heaven. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews goes in, in the hall of faith as it's said. Hebrews 11, he starts talking about all these great things that people have done throughout the history of the Bible from Abraham to David. And then he starts talking about those that served God and weren't named but were persecuted for serving God. And he says this about those people who were killed and beaten. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. In the hall of faith, those that were faithful to God, and the world was not worthy of them. Let us be people for which the world is not worthy of. If we lose everything and go through terrible struggles, but we have Christ, we have the prize, and we have won. People with a focus on God's plan to bring redemption are people that know where they're going, know where God's bringing them. We have to do whatever it takes to get that message out. Struggles will come, and those struggles don't surprise God. God is using them to make you mature and build you. And rest assured that God is working in the good and the bad to make you and mold you. Ask John if he would come up now. We're going to go into a time of invitation. But I want to tell you a story uh, as, as we do this. All you guys know my little son, Levi. I had him today, and I was walking and doing sound check up and down the stage here. And they asked me, is he going to be a prop in your sermon today? And I said, well, kind of. And I, I don't have him up here to hold right now, but um, my son Levi um, is a wonderful child. I love him very much. Allie was pregnant with Maggie in 2007, and we were very young. Seven months after we got married, we figured, found out she was pregnant, and um, she, we're sitting on the bed one night, and I said, baby? She says, yes. And I said, I think the Lord's telling me that we're going to have a Down syndrome child. She was like, ah, don't tell somebody that when they're pregnant. <laughs> yeah, if y'all know Allie, you can hear her saying that. And I said, no, really, I think the Lord is telling me we're going to have a Down syndrome child. And I kind of said that and then moved on with life. And we had Maggie, and she was born and didn't have Down syndrome, and 
Um, she's, she's a wonderful child. She gets pregnant again, and I, I guess kind of in the back of our minds, maybe we're thinking about that thing, and I'm thinking to myself after the second one's born, Quentin, oh, maybe I just, maybe I was mistaken about this. I mean, this is crazy. I'm not lying to you. You can ask Allie, this really happened. Maybe I'm just mistaken about this. You know, I just sometimes just say stupid things. It happens. Um, and so we get pregnant with this third one, and this pregnancy is extremely difficult. All the other pregnancies went smooth. It was just perfect, you know, up to the due date, born, no problems, everything's great. We get in this third one, things start going a little south quickly. Um, Allie doesn't have enough uh, amniotic fluid in, in, in the womb, and the baby they're afraid is going to be born stillborn, and there's all kinds of problems that we're facing. She has to go in for uh, weekly checkups, and then eventually go in for checkups every other day to get an ultrasound. And like the ultrasounds where they make sure the blood is flowing through the umbilical cord, kind of ultrasounds where it's a little more in-depth. And it was, it, was, it was a crazy thing. There was, there was a point where the doctor got uh, the thing put up against her stomach, and they come back with the pictures and they say, we want to show you this. Don't be real concerned about this. Just want to show you this. There's a little highlight on um, Levi's heart here. And we didn't call him Levi. It was just baby at that point. There's a highlight on baby's heart here. And sometimes that means they have Down syndrome, but that's only like, I don't know, like 9% of the time. Um, so we just want to let you know about it, but we don't think there's anything to worry about. Everything else checks out great uh, in, in terms of how he was growing and all that. So we heard that. That was towards the beginning of the pregnancy. It went on. Pregnancy got harder and harder and harder. And finally towards the end, basically it was uh, about eight weeks out. And the doctor's like, you're going to have this baby today. And Allie was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> this is not happening. And she prayed. She said, God, keep this child in me till 37 weeks. Let this child go full term. Because it, he was already small. They were already, already worried about the baby. And she wanted him to grow. And so keep this child in me for 37 weeks. Through, uh, I guess it was three weeks. It was, it was three weeks had passed. And she is... Uh, not in labor, but they said, there is no other choice. We have to put you in labor. And at that mo- moment, her body went into labor at 37 weeks. Like when the doctor said, you need to go into labor, she's like, oh man, here it goes, it starts. They did not even have to give her um, that medicine that makes you go into labor, whatever it is, can't think of it right now. And she goes into labor and we have this beautiful boy and again, I see this, this little boy, the littlest baby we'd ever had and, and I see this baby and I'm holding him in my hands for the first time and I'm just, oh, it's gorgeous. And we send him back to the nursery and eventually and they, they do everything. He had a little hard time breathing when he was born because being a little bit early and all this kind of stuff. So they brought him back there. And we go the next day and the doctor ends up coming in the room while I'm out. And she, he tells Allie, he says, Allie, I need to tell you something. Are you ready for this? And she goes, yeah, come on, doc. I'm good. She says, we were looking at Levi and noticed that he had this thing called a simian line on his hand, which means if you look at your hand, you have two lines going across your hand right here and right here. And a simian line is just one line going straight across the hand right there, and that is typically a sign of Down syndrome. Not always, but typically. And she heard that and was bawling her eyes out and started crying, weeping. And she called me on the phone, unable to even talk to me in that moment. Called me on the phone and was just crying and crying and crying. I couldn't even understand what she was saying. And I thought, I mean, I thought the baby was dead. I really did. I thought the baby had died because there were some complications in getting him to breathe and stuff like that. And so I get to the hospital as quick as I can, and she tells me what's going on. And we both wept 
and mourned in that moment. And I asked God this question. Why did you do this to me? You see, I told you the story earlier about going to seminary. <laughs> this was like three months before, before we, or I guess it was about six months before we were supposed to leave. But we were in the, well into the process of getting out of there. We were, were working with finding jobs and all this stuff, and God had told us. We were in the middle of this process, in the middle of doing what we thought was God's will, and we find out not only are we having a baby, which was difficult enough, when we found that out earlier. Oh, we're pregnant and we're supposed to be moving. Oh, great. This is going to be wonderful. We find out that our baby has Down syndrome. And we wept and cried. And then we said, well, maybe if we educate ourselves on this a little more, it'll be a little better. <laughs> we educated ourselves on what it means to have Down syndrome over the next couple of days. It did not get better. We thought that Down syndrome just meant that he was going to be a little slow and look a little different than everybody else. But there are so many physical complications that come along with Down syndrome from muscles that aren't as strong as they need to be, the hearts that don't work properly, to thyroid glands that aren't right, to skin that just doesn't quite work right, to shortness um, in their stature and weight problems and all these things that come along with Down syndrome. And we are just like, God, why? Now, we almost didn't even come to cross-culture. We almost canned it right there. I'll just do class online. I'll stay where we are. We'll keep our hospital. We'll keep our, our doctors. And God said to me, no, I told you what to do. And this is the moment where you get to show me what you really believe. Do you believe what I told you? I had to say yes. Because <laughs> I was confident and I told everybody <laughs> that God had told me this. You know, if you... If you don't want to be kept accountable, don't tell anybody. <laughs> and we moved. We found wonderful doctors, and we found wonderful therapists, and we found a wonderful hospital. And God is still working in little Levi. He's only just a year old now, and he has a long way to go, and we know that. But as I wept and asked God, why would you put us through this? A year later, I can just eat, only a year later, I am thankful that in just 12 months, I can look back and say, I understand a little better while you put us through this because I can't imagine having any other child than Levi. I can't imagine I can't imagine um, having it any other way. Um, and it's difficult and it's going to be difficult. But that doesn't mean it's not right. God has a plan for Levi. We called him Levi, which the Levites were, were servants of God. Levi Alexander, the servant of God, and Alexander means warrior of man. We want him to be strong. We want him to serve God and do what God wants him to do. And be the man of God that he should be, regardless of what his weaknesses are. As I was telling Allie yesterday, we're all deficient in some way. He just has it in a different way. But God can still use him. Today, where are you? What struggle are you in the middle of, or coming out of, or going into, that you need to give over to God? Where has God been actively drawing you to himself? Today I'm asking you to surrender to God's will because there is no better place to be. It's not the safest. It's not always the happiest. But it's the best. Thanks for joining us for this week's Crosswalk. One thing followers of Jesus can't expect is a problem-free life. Life will have its ups and downs for everyone. But for followers of Jesus, a problem-free life in heaven can be expected in eternity. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. 
But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.